Heritage Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. More than 20 million people watched last week's testimony by Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, the woman who has accused him of sexual assault that allegedly occurred 36 years ago. CBS News says that's about as many people who watch a playoff football game or the Academy Awards. There were moments that were hard to watch, and others that were so gripping you couldn't look away. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. What is the strongest memory you have? Strongest memory of the incident? Something that you cannot forget. Take whatever time you need. Indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter. The, la- the uproarious laughter between the two and they're having fun at my expense. This onslaught of last minute allegations does not ring true. I'm not questioning that Dr. Ford may have been sexually assaulted by some person in some place at some time, but I have never done this to her or to anyone. That's not who I am. It is not who I was. I am innocent of this charge. I intend no ill will to Dr. Ford and her family. The other night, Ashley and my daughter Liza said their prayers and little Liza, all of 10 years old, said to Ashley, we should pray for the woman. It's a lot of wisdom from a 10-year-old. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. Boy, y'all want power. God, I hope you never get it. I hope the American people can see through this sham that you knew about it and you held it. You had no intention of protecting Dr. Ford. None. She's as much of a victim as you are. God, I hate to say it because these have been my friends. But let me tell you, when it comes to this, you're looking for a fair process. You came to the wrong town at the wrong time, my friend. Do you consider this a job interview? The advice and consent role is like a job. Do you consider that you've been through a job interview? I've been through a process of advice and consent under the Constitution. Which Would you has, say you've been through hell? I, I've been through uh, hell and then some. This is not a job interview. Yeah. This is hell. This, this, this is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. After 10 hours of questioning, there was no real conclusion. But there was a theme. Heritage expert Thomas Jipping writes that campaigns of whatever sort often adopt a mantra, a phrase, 
or even a single word that's repeated over and over to advance the campaign's goal. He says that the campaign against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh is no different. And its mantra, especially during last week's testimony, has been an FBI investigation. So this week on Heritage Explains, we decided to break down what exactly the FBI is doing right now during Judge Brett Kavanaugh's seventh investigation, what happens when it's over, and what that will mean for the Supreme Court now and perhaps generations from now. John Malcolm is vice president for Heritage's Institute for Constitutional Government. Thank you so much for joining us, John. So as you know, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted to advance Judge Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation last week, but only after another one-week investigation into his background. I think there may be some misconceptions out there about what the FBI's role is when it comes to the confirmation process, as opposed to maybe what they see the FBI do on TV. Is this a criminal investigation of Judge Kavanaugh? No, it certainly is not uh, a criminal investigation. Um, You know, this is just gathering information as part of a routine background check. By the way, Brett Kavanaugh has had six previous background checks for very, very sensitive positions, including being a judge uh, in uh, in the federal government. And uh, having been the subject of background checks myself, uh, the FBI goes and, and talks to people who have known you at various stages uh, of your life, and they ask uh, a lot of questions about how well they know you and you know, whether they've seen you uh, in social circumstances or dealt with you professionally and you know, they ask questions about uh, your competence. They will frequently ask, uh, does the person, uh, you know, spend beyond their means? How, or do they have a drinking or a drug problem? Uh, you know, they, they ask an awful lot of questions from an awful lot of people. And the two or three times that I've had this done on myself, I'm always amazed when I get calls from people who say the FBI uh, just ask me questions about you. Is everything okay? <laughs> and I'll say, well, they're just being thorough. I had no idea they were going to reach out to you, but you know, tell them what you know. So on, on some of the Sunday shows, I heard guests and hosts saying things like, if the FBI finds a piece of damning evidence, in this case, what would you say a piece of damning evidence would look like? Well, if they found some other witness, I suppose, who came forward uh, who said, yes, I was at this party with Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford uh, and saw him uh, do what uh, Dr. Ford claims he did or heard him bragging about it afterwards. Uh, I suppose you could say the same thing about the uh, allegations made by Deborah uh, Ramirez. Uh, there have obviously been some people who have come forward with saying that you know Brett Kavanaugh uh, did drink a lot uh, in uh, at least uh, college, if not, uh, if not high school. I have no idea how much that statement is going to be uh, worth. Imagine that somebody in high school uh, you know, or, in, or as a freshman or sophomore in college occasionally drinking too much. Uh, that, that's, of course, never happened to anybody else. Um, and you know, there's a big difference, of course, between having too much to drink and blacking out uh, and having too much to drink and attempting to rape somebody. So I don't know how much mileage one will get out of that, but there are some people who knew Brett Kavanaugh in college who said if he was downplaying how much he drank, I don't think that's going to be a particularly earth-shattering 
uh, revelation one way or the other. I don't think it will have an impact on anything. But obviously, if another witness came forward and said, Brett Kavanaugh told me that he he did these things about which he's been accused or I saw him doing these things, that might have some impact. So in other words, something that might make Brett Kavanaugh look as if he wasn't telling the truth. Right. So after the FBI concludes this process, what do they do? Is is there a report that they give a committee? Do they make statements? What, what happens next? Yeah, so the FBI conducts interviews and then they write up uh, a memorandum of interview. It's often referred to as a 302 because that is the number assigned to the form that the FBI uses. Uh, and they will make that part of Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation file and they will provide that to the White House and they'll provide that to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Do both the White House and the committee get it or does the White House give it to the committee? I'm not sure exactly how that flows, but the bottom line is that both sides will, you know, both the Senate Judiciary Committee and the White House will get it. So the media sort of makes this sound normal. So I just want to be clear. John, can politicians typically demand that the FBI investigate something like this? No. Uh, the FBI is an executive branch uh, agency, and that uh, that directive, if you will, comes from the executive branch. In this case, what it effectively ended up happening is the Senate Judiciary Committee and Leader McConnell asked the White House if they would be willing to ask the FBI to do this, uh, and the the Trump, you know, President Trump asked the FBI to do this. He said it was going to be a limited uh, investigation, limited to the what they referred to as credible allegations, uh, and that it was to be completed, uh, you know, in a week or less. So, so far, 110 Trump nominees have been stalled by Democrats, and this is a historical amount. If this is the course our country takes and a new precedent that's set for confirming and vetting nominees— what do you think that means for the future of America's courts? Oh, well, it's it's bad. I, I'm assuming the 110 that are stalled, I don't know whether those are just judicial uh, branch nominees. I suspect that there are a lot more executive branch nominees. The Senate Judiciary Committee has actually been moving faster on judicial nominees than it has been on executive branch uh, nominees. Look, these, these stalling tactics uh, that the Democrats are employing by forcing closure votes and up to 30 hours of post-closure debate on every nominee, even you know non-controversial nominees, uh, sets a terrible precedent. I mean, there has literally been the case uh, in which President Trump has renominated people who had originally been nominated by President Obama. The Democrats, rather than saying that's great and just waving the person through has forced uh, the Senate to take closure votes and then to eat up floor time in terms of 30 hours of post-closure debate only to see these people then confirmed unanimously. It, it is a, a stalling tactic. Uh, it is designed to frustrate the Trump administration from uh, proceeding on some of its directives and filling these key positions. Uh, and it's a terrible way to govern. Heritage has reported that we have a vacancy crisis. What does that cause? Well, I don't know whether – there's certainly a vacancy crisis in the executive branch. So you have a lot of, of political positions that require Senate confirmation that are not being filled. So the, the people who are, are serving in these roles are there in an acting capacity and a lot of control ends up being ceded to uh, career people in these various agencies. 
Uh, some of them are, are hardworking and very, very competent. In fact, I'm sure that many of them are. Uh, but I'm quite sure that a number of them do not see eye to eye with the president in terms of fulfilling his agenda and would be what President Trump would euphemistically refer to as being part of the swamp. In terms of, uh, of judges, there are some districts that have a so-called judicial crisis uh, in that they have a very few number of judges a huge backlog in cases. If they are criminal cases, rights are affected because criminal defendants have a right to a speedy trial. And of course, if they are civil litigants, because criminal cases take priority, civil cases won't get hear, heard for years. That doesn't provide justice to anybody. So let's, let's see two scenarios here. Let's say that um, the FBI finishes their investigation and let's say um, it it looks good for Judge Kavanaugh, and they're going to move forward with his nomination. What's the next step? What happens from there? Well, the next step is that uh, Leader McConnell has to uh, file a motion for closure uh, on the Senate floor, which will be voted upon. After that, that will trigger the 30 hours of post-closure debate, and then they will vote. I mean, as you know, an overwhelming majority of Democrats uh, declared that they were opposed to Judge Kavanaugh before the hearings ever began and anyone had ever heard of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Indeed, there are a whole number of Democrats who declared their opposition to President Trump's nominee before there actually was a nominee. Uh, so, you know, this investigation is designed to be thorough because a few senators who are on the bubble, if you will, on either the Republican side or the Democratic side requested that it be done. Uh, and you know, Senator Grassley and Leader McConnell and President Trump are sort of bending over backwards. And you're already hearing calls from a number of Democrats that you know this isn't going to be enough and they need more. And today Bernie Sanders, the senator from Vermont, said, oh, and they also need to investigate whether or not Brett Kavanaugh perjured himself during these, uh, during these proceedings. So there'll be a for, – for most of the people on the Democratic side, there will never be enough. Uh, process. They had announced their opposition to him a long time ago anyway, so it doesn't really matter to them. Uh, but you know, this is being done and we will see how those uh, senators on the bubble vote once this uh, process is completed. Could they technically and officially stall further or does the buck stop there? Well, I, you know, I think the buck stops. Uh, the only way I suppose that might change, I mean, you know, this is going to be a very, very close vote. I mean, if those few senators who are going to be the deciding votes say we want more or else we are going to do whatever, not vote or vote against him, uh, you know, that that might put pressure to delay the process. That's exactly what Senator Flake did in the Senate Judiciary Committee. He said, you know, I'm going to want uh, additional investigation and immediately Lisa Murkowski and Heidi Heitkamp, who fall into that category of senators in the bubble, immediately said, I want to see that too. Uh, at some point, my guess is they're going to say, you know, OK, look, we, we asked the FBI to do more. They did more. Now it's time to vote. OK, so in conclusion, the other side of that, Brett Kavanaugh has to withdraw his nomination. I mean, if that were to happen. What happens then? Well, if that were to happen and I do not believe that is going to happen, then President Trump would have to come up with uh, uh, another nominee and we would start the process uh, all over again. How quickly he would do that, I, I don't know. I, he has already said he doesn't have a plan B. How quickly he would come up with plan B is anybody's guess. They certainly would not have a confirmation hearing and a vote before the midterm elections, whether they would try to do 
uh, that during a lame duck session. I don't know, but I expect that this is all going to be uh, a far-fetched hypothetical because I fully expect Brett Kavanaugh to receive a vote, and I actually uh, expect that he'll be confirmed. Thank you so much, John. Great to be with you. That's it for today's episode of Heritage Explains. Please share our show with your friends on social media and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, comments. We really need more comments. Please leave them on iTunes and give us some topic suggestions. I would love to hear from you. Conservatives really need your support in the podcasting world. And the more ratings and comments we get on iTunes, the better. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad. Want to learn how to podcast from some of the best in the business? Then you'll want to register for the Leadership Institute's Conservative Podcasting School on October 15th and 16th in Arlington, Virginia. The Heritage Foundation and The Daily Signal are proud sponsors of this event. Sign up today at leadershipinstitute.org. And as a listener of this podcast, you can get $10 off. Just use Book Club as the promo code. Can't make it in person? The training will also be streamed live. Again, it's leadershipinstitute.org.